Dial H for hero. Princess Bride reference? My pit, my despair. Welcome to the pit of despair. Oh, I didn't, is that I didn't a, catch that. Is that a Princess Bride reference? Yep. Oh. I trapped his body in here in the hero verse, but his spirit. Frank Miller reference. Because <laughs> it's the spirit? Because he directed the movie? Should that be a Will Eisner reference? I think it's a year one reference. You're a year one well, reference. Well, Frank Miller, like, Frank Miller is a year one reference. Your mom is a year one reference. Holy shit, man. That is a hot take for this late in the evening. Just saying. Listen, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Dragon Ball Z reference. Nope. Saying. Oh. <laughs> All right. I like it. I could have done that one on purpose if I wanted to. <laughs> Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast where three boys that love each other very much are all back in the same room together. Episode 136. Oh, four more. Where Tuesdays we get a whole bunch of books uh, from UPS and we bring them back to our comic shop that we also love very, very much. And we count them, sort them, file them away, get real excited about them. Smell them. Then we squirrel a whole bunch of secret ones that we want to read into our shirts and pants and smuggle them out of here so no one knows. And then we read them all and then we bring those same pants books back into the comic <laughs> shop and put them into the stack so that no one knows which books were in our pants. We take the red snappers out, we put them in one spot. We take the comics out, we put them in another spot. We read sure one, we eat the other. Red snappers are. It's a fish, Jeff. Is it a turtle? It's a fish. It's a fish. You just slap me in the face with the fish. It's a fish. <laughs> um, and then we, uh, you know, come up here to have a podcast session uh, amongst ourselves where we excitedly talk about the comic books, uh, the shop, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm in Jeff, and I'm in love with the cocoa. I'm Django, and I'm in love with the popo. He is. Oh, I'm Roman. I was going to do a popo line. I'm in love with the dodo. They're all dead. They're extinct, buddy. I'm still, it doesn't mean I can't love them. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you, you That's how a... I'm going to feel next year after you're dead, you old man. Oh, He's only 36. Did you ever true. eat a dodo egg, Roman, back when you were a kid? No. No? <laughs> Did you? No. Dodos died way before I was born. Hey, listen, we're going to talk no, about a bunch of comic books didn't. this week because we're excited <laughs> about them. But I need my main man, Django Front Street Boren, to tell me what we're reading so you can all be warned about them spoilers. What's up, Front Street? Uh, we're going to read Batman Damn number three. We're going to read Detective Comics number 1006. Marilyn Manor number one. The Goon number three. Dial H for Hero number four. War of the Realms, number six. Fantastic Four, number 11. I thought it had to be 111 for a second, so I put three ones in. Sorry. <laughs> it, no, your tongue is not a one. I can read between those lines. It's number one. Uh, Transformers, Ghostbusters, number one, and Ghost Tree, number Schley. Also, we're going to spoil these. What sound was that, Schley? It's one, two, Schley. Oh. <laughs> what do you say? So let's talk about Batman Damned number three by Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo. Dang, this is a pretty looking book. You mean damn. Oh. 
dang though. I would say I meant what I said. I would yeah, pretty looking book for sure. I would say the best of the three, but that's like you know jumping over an anthill. Really? In terms of it being the best of the three? Oh, best best story and art. Yeah, sorry. I just mean this of the three issues is is I would say the best. I think it's maybe because it's it's kind of the most cohesive. Like yeah, you I would kind say of that. understand what's going on through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to read all three of them at once to see if this kind of sticks together as its own story a little bit better now that we know the shape of the the end. Um, Do we know the shape of the end? What was this series about to you? I think, and this is partly from an article I read on the internet, but I think that it's a way of kind of rebooting the Azarello Bermejo Joker character. Um, that, yeah. The end of this mirrors the end of the Joker trade paperback that they did. But I guess I'm just curious, like, what was this story? What happened in this story? In this story, Batman has an adventure, and so Batman has an adventure after the Joker dies, and maybe Batman dies also. And he goes and has this adventure with John Constantine and ends up talking to the Spectre at the end. And uh, Batman makes one wish, and he wishes that the Joker was was still alive to uh, kind of keep keep being Batman's uh, foil. And bang, so it is. Hmm. And so the Joker doesn't die at the end when he gets thrown off the building. He gets he, he comes out alive in a killing joke kind of fashion, and. They get to they get to start the the eternal battle between Batman and the Joker again. Hmm. But doesn't Batman die at the end of this? It's unclear. He gets sucked into a. He gets sucked into a. Um, uh, what is that? Oh, you know, one of those places that the dead bodies live in a morgue. In, in the morgue, the the people drawers. But I think that also the Joker's corpse gets sucked away. And I think that that's just showing us that the world has been reset. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's, I don't it, think you're wrong. That, that's that's a good read of it. What, one big problem that I have over and over and over with Azarello is that he sets up a really interesting mystery, and then the payoff is hard to understand. And I, I don't know if it's this impossible. Is the exact opposite. I don't know, man. It, like the, it, the mystery. Wasn't an interesting story for two issues. To the me. mystery of. Is the Joker dead? Why is all this crazy shit happening to Batman? And then the payoff is something that you had to have read a hardcover graphic novel that came out 11 years ago to be able to really understand what's happening on the bridge in the in the climactic battle that was also the battle that happened before the beginning of this issue. And then you're really not sure where you stand with the Joker or with Batman by the end of this. Like... I didn't love the journey, but I liked it a lot more than I liked the vague ending. I didn't like the journey. I did like the final 10 issues. I had a slightly different read on the end than you. 10 issues? 10 pages. 10 pages, rather, yeah. Um, But in terms of even, like, what this was, like, for two issues, the first two issues, I, I almost feel like you could read with you don't even need like this issue is almost the whole story to me. 
Yeah, I think I think a couple pages of setup, and you could have just this. Yeah, but like I didn't know what I was reading for two issues, and yeah, the art is pretty good. I'm even like kind of tired of this armor suit Batman at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I didn't like Brian Azrael's writing, but there was some gorgeous art in here. I really like the Swamp Thing. The Swamp talking Thing talking slow and weird because he's a big old swamp monster. I was like. The art did a great job of that scene of the coffin underground. Mm-hmm. Did an awesome job of to like make me have a slight panic attack for a half a second. Of like, oh my god, that's what that would be like. Yeah. And then yeah, Swamp Thing's roots basically removing his coffin from underground was was very very cool. John Constantine with cigarettes in his in Batman's utility belt, yeah. and he turned his tie into a domino mask. Yeah, I kind of liked this idea in my head of like Batman stopped being Batman because he let the Joker fall off this bridge and then the specter who is the you know sort of the specter of judgment judged him and his his punishment for letting the Joker die so it was like the opposite of the killing joke to me which was like he let the Joker die and in that act he stopped being Batman because that's not what Batman would do. And then the Spectre sucked him into this coffin thing and Batman ended. But all of that was a misunderstanding because the Joker didn't actually even die. Okay. Was was my reading of it, which I think is wrong because I think yours makes more sense. But I preferred that reading of it for me personally because it was like Batman's journey through purgatory and his ultimate punishment for not holding up on his vow and then the story of Batman ending but the Joker didn't actually even die and the way that Batman doesn't save the Joker like traditionally Batman throws the Joker over a building and Joker grabs onto it and then Batman saves him at the very last second Mm -hmm. in this one Batman doesn't save him at the last second and that is kind of similar to the joke that the Joker tells at the end of the killing joke where he's the two guys and one of them jumps over the the building and he shines his flashlight and says, just walk across the beam. And the guys are, you crazy? You turn it off halfway, halfway mm-hmm. when I'm halfway across. It's kind of like what Batman does to him here. Yeah. And these last couple of pages of the Joker coming out of the water is straight up one yeah. panel off from the killing, the killing joke. joke. Yeah. This for me, like was my nail on the coffin of Azarello of just like, I don't think that you should be writing comics. Or just, I just don't think that you're as talented as your name, you know, makes makes people feel. Um, well, welcome to how I feel when I read dream sequences and drug trips in For comic sure. books. For sure. Like, that's just give me something to stand on. Really pretty book, but the whole thing began and ended with Batman's penis, and they probably should have just stopped there. I give this a five. Hang on, I'm looking for the penis. No, it was an issue one. We should have <laughs> never had this year of delayed comics after that. I'm going to give it a six and a half uh, because I think if you were to cut out scene, each scene is good, but they just don't add up to anything that I liked a lot. Yeah. Um, I really, really liked the uh, Swamp Thing part. I th- And the Swamp Thing stuff I thought was gorgeous. Yeah. And I did like the way that he talked. To, to I like the way he referred to him as Slow Knight the whole weird. time. Oh, yeah. 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 Roman, take me down a different creepy crawly alley. Take me down to the Paradise City. Paradise City. Roman's cute in his butt. Oh, but there is also a very graphic Zatanna butt in that issue. (laughs) The Goon, number three by Eric Powell and Rachel Cohen. Would you go so far as to say that 
Mm-hmm. You're my pal. I, I would. Thank Are you, you my pal? You say oh, pal or I love you, pal? Do, do, do we have little little signal watches for each other? We have matching Bailey wristbands. Oh my God, we do. We do. We're huggers. <laughs> all right. Good luck editing this episode, buddy. It's going to be a real fucking mess, and I'm so glad we're all back together. <laughs> oh, man. This goon number three still very funny. This one starts off a little differently, just with a flashback to ancient Egypt and this this horrible uh, pharaoh that ends up with this curse. Um, and there's ar- archaeologists that gets cursed. That's based on Howard Carter that, you know, uh, t- discovered Tutankhamun. Oh. And now this archaeologist is hanging out in the goon city. And it, it, the mummy comes after him, and he's forced by criminals to use the mummy to uh, go after people the criminals want to deal with, which in this issue was the goon. I like that. I like a little bit of a return to, well, not necessarily a return, but an introduction of the mystical horror elements in this book. Yeah, yeah, and with an even balance of the, the comedy stuff, because there's some kids in here that there's this whole big long thing Whoa. about they're being forced to this old mean old lady at the orphanage is going to make that them text bubble. yeah that's going to make them drown the their kittens and they're all walking to the bar and they're crying and sobbing and they tell the whole story in like one densely packed word balloon and the goon's <laughs> like that ain't right you don't have to drown those kittens let's go let's go talk to this lady <laughs> i haven't read a whole lot of goon but i really like that the the issues seem to be pretty modular and that what's modular mean just like you can read an issue. Yeah, okay. You yeah. know, you don't you don't have to read a, a long arc for the most part. And uh you know, just like a good old monster of the week, this time it's a mummy. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Next did, time like, it's Vinny Nosferatu. Yeah, Nosferatu. Yeah, yeah. Just like let's let's play with these tropes. Yeah, and the goon even kind of referenced that. Like in this issue, he's when he first faces the mun- the, mu- the mummy, he's like, "Huh. A mummy. That's a new one for me." <laughs> <laughs> It's just a fun, and you're like you said. It's a you can walk in on any issue and enjoy the issue for what it is, and you know there's some references to things, but it doesn't matter. Man, would he like the juxtaposition of cartoony art and like very watercolor detailed art that he does in these issues is also super astounding to me. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, the differences and <laughs> there's a sound effect here when the coon gets slammed across the across the courtyard, and the sound effect is contusion. <laughs> Like that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's plenty of humor. They they figure out that the way to beat the mummy, because it was cursed, the person was cursed by Bastet, the cat goddess. At some point they figure out, hey, let's throw kittens at the mummy, and that's how they defeat it. (laughs) Bastet or Bastetch? That's Lobo. You know what's crazy is Brandon Brendan Fraser movie, The Mummy? The mummy was afraid of cats and that also. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe that's where they got maybe it. Because yeah, a real mythology thing about cats and mummies. Well, okay. Bast is the the cat goddess of Egypt. Yeah. The cat head. Bast's stitch. Bast's oh. stitch. <laughs> chasing that joke. I really liked what you did with that joke, Django. <laughs> These Bailey wristbands that we put on all smell like Roman. I haven't worn them in weeks. They smell like months. House. I haven't worn them since. Oh well, okay, yeah. I don't know what his house smells like. It smells like him, but more uh, ambient. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you give that comic there, Roman? Um, I give this comic, this goon, this here goon comic. I give it a nine. Oh, whoa! God, I love you. Uh, what number is that? <laughs> Number three. Oh, I missed number two. Did you read one though? I love number one. Okay. Yeah, number oh. I like I put off reading it forever. Ah, goon. And 
I was on an airplane or something with a copy of The Goon, and I loved it. There's this art book that he's putting out that comes out in like a month and a half that I can't wait for. He's a good artist. Yeah, and he also sounds like a real fun guy. Y'all met him. He is. He's a fun guy. He's funny. Nice guy. You know what? Speaking of a real good artist who draws like that, I think. Kyle Hotz did the art on Batman Detective number 1006 with uh, Tomasi writing it. Gorgeous Uh, art. Yeah, beautiful. Such good art. This is what I always wanted Kelly Jones to look like. Yeah. 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 I mean, and and this is a little reminiscent of Tom Mandrake, too, which did one of the Spectre series. You're just saying that because he did the Spectre series and Spectre's in here. To me, it was like this perfect blend of like things that I love from the 80s within like elements of the 90s, but not like Mm -hmm. pouches and muscles, but also just like sort of the motion and the muscles. There's like in the facial expressions, there's this 90s quality to it, but it's not like stinky 90s. It's like mixed with that Kelly Jones thing that you're talking about. It's very modern colors, too. Yeah, the colors. Uh, David Barron. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not familiar with him. He knocked it out of the park with this issue. He sure I think. did. Like it's the beautiful, very, very vivid, but also somehow dark. Um, I really like the scene. So it opens up with uh, Jimmy Corrigan or James Corrigan, who is the Spectre, uh, being disappeared in an alley, and his partner being murdered. And later on, we see Batman's good friend Jim Gordon looking at the crime scene with an umbrella, and it turns out he's got an umbrella because the guys were killed so hard that the blood has spattered up onto the fire escape and it's just dripping down onto the crime scene. So I'm so glad that you put it. that context for me in this issue because I fucking hated it and I couldn't make sense of it at all. The and umbrella? The whole fucking issue. Really? Yeah. Because um, <laughs> you don't know Jim Corrigan? Yeah, I don't know. That I, okay. Yeah, like for me, every time I encounter the Spectre, I'm like, I don't fucking, like, is this real? These, there's a whole bunch of people on Alley that look like the Spectre. Are they the Spectre? The Spectre just burst out of this guy's chest. Who are these fucking people? Is this a dream? Is it not? Beautiful issue. Love Tomasi. Really like this artist. Just put it down knowing the same amount that I knew going into it. So I think, and Roman can probably correct me if I'm wrong, I think that there's only one Spectre. Mm-hmm. The Spectre uh, in the olden days was Jim Corrigan. Uh, in like recently, he was Hal Jordan. Yeah, and that also right? can that's what oh, confuses yeah. me. And then I think he went back to being Jim Corrigan. Yeah, and somewhere in there he was Crispus Allen too, another Gotham detective. Okay, Christmas Allen, Chris Chris Crispus. But okay. I think we can. But assume... in the new in the rebirth, I guess he's back to being the original Jim Corrigan. Yeah, who's a dead cop. And I think we can assume that. He doesn't manifest into six or seven different bodies and kill people. No, I think. these are these are cultists Copycats, of some type. Yeah. That are, yeah. like, do they worship the specter? They're cultists that follow the specter? We don't know yet. Yeah, we don't quite know okay. yet. Or how they even know they must be tied into mysticism because most page, people don't know the specter exists. This double-page sequence of Batman running to the scene that the specter is and we're just slowly seeing the body parts of this gigantic specter. I yeah. love that. We're so awesome. Yeah, straight out of a kaiju movie or something. Yeah. And I love the fact that uh, the Spectre, he does creative nasty stuff like in this when he attacks these cultists or whatever. He forms each of his fingers into a big massive gun barrel and he's just unloading bullets, mystical bullets on these guys. That's cool. So that kind of makes you wonder if the Spectre doesn't remember being Hal Jordan at some point. I don't think he does. I think since that was New 52, it doesn't count anymore. It was pre-New 52. Or pre-New 52. Yeah, but... 
that those universes, whatever. I don't, yeah. Yeah, or that's a different Earth. <laughs> I did really like the bit where I, I read this late in the evening. I read a ton of books last night, and this was sort of near the end of my reading. But there was some bit where they're arguing about whether the murder was conducted out of vengeance or out of, like, glee, sort of like a lust for violence. I, mm-hmm. I kind of liked that conversation between Batman being like, this is not vengeance, and then, the you know, the Spectre, who is the, the embodiment of vengeance. Yeah, he's the spirit of vengeance. Spirit thing. of vengeance. Yeah, like, I liked... The wrathful hand of God. You know, this sort of... And all of that, I just don't know the Spectre. And the little Spectre that I've encountered has been Hal Jordan Inspector, mm. so I'm just trying to make that fit, and it doesn't... Fit. I don't. Yeah. I don't have. This was like wandering the desert alone with a horse and a coffin, waiting for the League of Assassins to find me. A horse with no name. America. Yeah. I'm somewhere <laughs> between you and Roman in my Spectre knowledge, and I just, I just like the art. It's so pretty. <laughs> the art's really, amazing. Yeah. I loved how Spectre shows up at the crime scene with Batman and the detectives, and nobody can see them. And then Spectre leaves, and Batman just kind of appears, <laughs> um, which is kind of the opposite of, or I guess Batman does that, but it's the opposite joke that you usually see with Batman and Jim. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, just you saying, oh, he's Jim Corrigan. This is Jim Corrigan. And right. then he comes out of I'm like, oh, okay. Now the first four pages make sense where they did not at all. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. just an intro page would have been pretty helpful. Or just like him bursting out of Jim Corrigan. Like when we're surrounded by a bunch of other people that look like the Spectre and on the same pages we have the actual Spectre bursting out of someone's chest, like what yeah. is going on? Yeah, it's confusing. Uh, I, I would give this a nine just based on the art alone. And I like the story enough and had enough context for it's it. It's so pretty. Like the reds and the greens, like it's... Kyle Hotz also did Marvel Simon Garth Zombie. Marvel Simon Garth or Zombie. Zombie Simon Garth, the zombie Simon Garth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Book, that, there right? was that recent Marvel Zombie issue that was about him. Yeah, and he yeah. did he did, he did did like an older four-issue Max okay. series at some point. He's... I'm always interested in the stuff that he does because it's got that very, very spooky Kelly Jones. Yeah. And wasn't he the original, the artist on the original Hood miniseries? Could be. Which was all had that spookiness to it. Could be. The guy likes to draw hoods. I yeah. love, sorry, Roman. Oh, no. I, oh I, I was just going to say, I, and I, I even like that beginning kind of ambiguity where I, didn't, I wasn't even sure if these were other manifestations of the specter and why was he doing this? And I like that just quick little little thing. Because I love the Spectre, and these are definitely Spectre, especially the Spectre series in the 70s um, that had the comics code taken off of it because it was so violent, and he did such, you know, he was turning criminals, like, into a wax candle, and then he would slowly melt them. <laughs> or he'd turn into a pair of scissors and turn a criminal into paper and then cut him up. <laughs> Spirit of Vengeance, you know. When yeah. was... He, was he in a book recently, or was it with Plastic Man or something, where he was doing that? What was the thing recently where you were saying it reminds me of the Spectre, and he's like cutting people up within the last year? Uh, I don't remember. I've heard you say that those same yeah. things. Um, for me, it was just a big blind spot was my problem. It was just like, whoa, I don't know any of this. But I did love giant, ominous Spectre. Yeah. And uh, I have come for you, Batman. He says, good God, 
not exactly is an awesome <laughs> line. And I love these like I'm gonna take a form that won't freak you out so much and he just shrinks down. Yeah. You're like I guess I don't need I don't need to be the size of two buildings. Yeah. Was, was <laughs> just cool. wanted to find you. Yeah. Yeah, but he still shrinks down to like eight feet tall or something. Yeah. <laughs> I would give, I would give boy I would give this one a nine and a half. Whoa! I, I, I love this issue. That rules. Everything, the art, the coloring, the way you said it was dark, and yet it's also very bright and vibrant. Can you shrink that nine and a half gooey duck down to something manageable, <laughs> Roman? That's a reference, and I like that. <laughs> nope, I can't. <laughs> can't contain it. What Jeff? Do you give it? Well, I mean, I, I I'm give it a nine. Give it a, yeah, that's. I give it a six point five. All right. I um I think the art was gorgeous, but I, I wrestled with it. If we've learned anything today, it's that Jeff doesn't like comics that have the Spectre in it. Well, <laughs> nope, I liked. Nope, that's I liked all we've learned the today. Spectre in Batman <laughs> Damned. Um, I love comic books that make me feel dumb, like the person writing it is incredibly intelligent and I just can't keep up with it. I don't like being confused when I'm just like, is this just a mess? Like, is is this just a mess? Well, it's both of these comics, I think, rely on you having a pretty deep knowledge of the mystical side of the DC universe. And if you don't have that, it's just a shit show. I don't know a lot of very about oblique. DC and that, like... This one I wrestled with getting through it, but I didn't hate. I didn't like. It didn't make me angry. Yeah. Batman Dan made me angry. Like you're a fucking farce. And that's like <laughs> the problems that you wrestled with on this d- issue of Detective are similar to why I don't read a lot of X Men, yeah. why I don't read any cosmic stuff. You know, because it's it's like cosmic stuff is a double whammy for me because I don't really like the setting and I don't know any of the characters like why does that green guy hate that pink guy kind of stuff <laughs> um, so yeah I think I think that a comic like this that is shooting for somebody who is a big fan of these characters in this specific corner of this universe pulls itself out of a lot of uh, potential fans um Tell me about Marilyn Manor by oh. Magdalene Visaggio, Marley Varcone, and Irma Nivilla. Buddy, yeah. Some comics are written for me and have Marilyn Monroe in them. Some comics are written for me and have lots of murder in them. Oh. Uh, this Which is one really was this? neither of them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I di- I did enjoy it. It definitely. Um, I don't know. It's it's about the daughter of a president who is not a president we actually know right who slept with Marilyn Monroe before they were a president I think before they were a president um, before she died obviously oh so maybe while she was sleeping with JFK okay we don't know maybe while she was sleeping with that baseball guy <laughs> um, what are you laughing at Joe DiMaggio yeah that's I what you I were said talking about Sammy Sosa no, different guy <laughs> okay um Anyway, this girl's uh, parents go out of town for the weekend, and she throws an 80s party, uh, like a, a party from an 80s movie, except that she's the first daughter. So, you know, she's doing it in the White House using secret passages to sneak her friends in, and uh, it was it was cute. I, I like that her, her best friend, who seems to have kind of a crush on her and isn't super excited when she starts going places with dudes... Um, her best friend has the spirit of Abraham Lincoln inside of her. I liked that very from much. a Ouija interaction, yeah. and 
they have a conversation about how she's not really sure. Like she, she's like, oh yeah, I know about that tunnel. We built it because of this. Mm-hmm. And the the lead girl's like, well, why do you know that? She says, well, I have the spirit of Abraham Lincoln inside me. And actually, it's kind of weird. Like, I don't always know if it's me thinking something or if it's Abraham Lincoln thinking something. Yeah. Like, well, why don't you just get rid of him? And she's like, well, because I don't know if it would get rid of me or if it'd get rid of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's it's there, there's like little bits of kind of surreal spookiness in it. Um, but like in a way that it's just it's not taking itself seriously at any point either. Right, right. I think that the the last page where she dives off the stage in the White House party and Marilyn Monroe is apparently in the Oval Office. Uh, I could have used a different cliffhanger. Did that happen? Yeah, it's the last two pages, and the the cliffhanger is not. It doesn't make me want to read the next issue. I didn't interpret that as Marilyn Monroe being in the Oval Office, but I do now that you're saying I, that. I've run into that a few times lately where the the last page it's supposed to get you to – it was uh, – what was the other one? It was uh, Punk Mambo Number 1. Yeah. The last page was like, well, That's that not what I guarantees <laughs> I'm not going to read the next issue. And this one wasn't that bad. I'm, I'm still interested, and I think I will probably read the next issue, but it just didn't super grab me. Yeah, I enjoyed reading this, and when I finished it immediately, I was like, well, I, I didn't dislike that at all, but it's not a thing that would excite me to read on a stack of comics. So I felt like I'll read the next one if it comes out on a week of comics where I don't have a ton of stuff that I'm excited to read. But the more time that's gone by, and even just talking to you about it for 30 seconds, I actually do think I'm kind of excited to read the next one. Yeah. They uh, are planning this party in the White House. And there's lots of kind of like dumb stuff like, well, it's the president's daughter. How is she throwing a secret party in the White House? Eh, doesn't matter. Swallow it. But um, but I do like that they're, I think, getting people into it by going through this underground tunnel. And yeah, like you were saying that it was built around the time of Abraham Lincoln. But at this point, they find the secret sex room of JFK and Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> and the, who her own father had an affair with. The graffiti uh, on the wall yeah. says there are more tapes, yeah, which like, is hilarious. Because that's a Nixon thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I really liked it. And Magdalene Visanji was somebody who's read... I've read... She was writing Morning in America, and I didn't particularly care for that. And she's written some other stuff. But... Um, I think I've enjoyed all of the stuff that she has written that I've read. Yeah, it's, she it's did. OJ, never, Kim and Kim. Yeah, it's never something that scratches my particular itch, but I can always tell that it's a good comic, but whether I, I like it or not. She's also a real badass, though. Yeah. Her online persona. Um, she, There was a whole bunch of people who were criticizing um, Chelsea Kane at some point for mm-hmm. man-eaters being exclusionary to people who are uh, non-binary, like gender. And she was just like, hey, just because it's not written specifically for you does not mean it's not an open-minded book and she was just like very progressive just like listen like we got to support everybody and she right. defended her in a, in a way that she didn't have to and i was like all right cool i dig you um so yeah i uh i liked Marilyn manor i would give this one i would give it a seven which is enough to get me to read the next issue it's not for me um but it i it's do want to keep reading it yeah like I could see myself not reading it if it came out on a certain day, but if right. it came out on a different day, I might kind of enjoy reading it. Yeah. I, I'm going to give it a seven. I'm going to give it a seven. You're going to give it a 7.2, aren't you? Nope. Nope. It's, okay. not a, it's not a big dick contest, Jeffrey. Oh, wow. 
We took a dip into Marilyn's Manor, but now we got to get into this goddamn phone booth. Are we going to dial H for hero? No, we're going to dial S for Sokka McGee. <laughs> uh, dial H for hero number four by Sam Humphreys, Joe Quinones. Can you take that burp out? That was disgusting. It was disgusting. Roman. I Sorry. I I'm going to leave it in. Um, <laughs> Too many beers. Inks by Tom Fowler and colorist Jordan Gibson. Dial H for Hero, we've talked about all of the issues. Each one of them, to me, has become progressively more like satisfying to see these phone calls. Um, first, it was just like a fun 90s gimmick. Then it was like a Dragon Ball Z anime gimmick. Then it was like, you know, Grant Morrison Doom Patrol gimmick. <laughs> and then in this one, we have people calling the phone. So for me, I love this series because I like to see what heroes are going to be created. And in this one, we get... Sin City, Mobius, <laughs> and Will Miguel from looks like Family Circus. I think it's just so I haven't read the issue, but I think it that the cartoony character is just Sunday cartoon strips. Okay, because they keep morphing into different obvious takes on yeah Sunday. Yeah, right. It's Sunday got comics. Hagar the horrible yeah, and, and Kathy. 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 Yeah. Okay, and okay. Nancy and. Yeah. Little Lulu or Little Dot or Little Lotta, one of those. Did you read Whoa, this, Roman? Roman? What? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I liked this one a lot, particularly for those artistic cameos. He does such a good job of looking like old Frank Miller. Yeah, what was the Frank Miller character called? Um, great question. Her name was Chimp Change, because she's like chimp a female change, yeah. chimp. Yeah, that cracked me. So that double-page spread when they first all become these characters, that cracked me up. Well, yeah, and then, like, the Mobius alien ice cream man, which is just such a funny, like, kind of joking <laughs> poke at Mobius. But, again, the thing that's so amazing about this book is that Joe Quinone is, is so good at looking yeah. like these artists. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that I mean, the same artist is doing all of these, like, side by side. I, yeah, it almost seems like they have to be calling people in to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, this one's just sort of bringing this story all together. I wouldn't have wanted this book to be an ongoing book, but it seems like it's going to be a little six-issue thing, and we've introduced the villain, and we've kind of introduced his plan, and yeah. he tempted our protagonist, Miguel, to, instead of dialing H for hero, which is four, he got him to dial, like, S or whatever for S. Sokka McGee. Which is for Sokka McGee, and instead of becoming a hero, he becomes... Um, the villain that we've been seeing on the covers of things, and uh, his name is Mr. Thunderbolt. And he can, yeah, he convinced Miguel that he was the operator on the other end of the line, but he was not. And now Miguel is lost in the phone, and Mr. Thunderbolt has taken his body. And I just, it, it was a delight the whole way through because it's so fun and such a meta expression of comic books. It is, it is. And, and I'm not quite sure, but I think... Uh, um, Robbie Reed, the original H dialer, is both the operator and Mr. Thunderbolt somehow. That maybe oh, using like the that. dial all these years kind of split him into good and evil portions of himself. Where? A three and a seven, if you will. Oh, I will. Oh. An H and an S. And it's also fun in this issue that they go to the old Justice League Detroit headquarters. I, that's a real place? Apparently it is. I don't. 
in Rebirth. Still, yeah, because that was the Justice up. League that, I don't know, before Crisis and Infinite Earths, it was the Justice League that existed. They were headquartered in Detroit. It just seemed like and, this, like the seventh yeah, secret and, and, hideout where there's just like, oh, we'll just put this car. In yeah, and the Martian Manhunter was one of them, Gypsy. And Snapper Carr is there, who's the original Justice League mascot. Yeah. Uh, who has no powers or anything. He's just kind of a a bozo like a maxwell snaps. lord kind of guy he just snaps yeah except he doesn't have the smarts or the powers of maxwell lord right um and we haven't seen him in i don't know how many years but he's back in rebirth and he's just a goofball and kind of watching over this old abandoned headquarters with full of robots <laughs> and apparently maybe he's a dial and h dial once in the past too because he makes a reference, and so there's a little mystery there with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I like this whole sort of, like, drug addict bent they're doing on people who have dialed yeah. the phone but are just, like, do will do anything to get back at it because their life is meaningless without it. Yeah. Reminds me of when I used to shoot up black tar. <laughs> I didn't know you shot up black tar. Everything's a shadow compared to those gorgeous evenings under the bridge. You love the tartar? I'm in love with <laughs> the tartar tar- sauce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just a sort of quick spot on Dial H for Hero, but I'm still really digging it, and uh, it just makes me laugh. What are you laughing at? Just this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not super goal-oriented, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, they don't have a Manny's truck anymore. They switched their car out, so that's a big thing. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. I keep on kind of wanting this to cross over with uh, Wonder Twins. I keep thinking Just because I think that would be fun. And they're part of the Wonder Comics imprint. Yeah. This is my favorite thing Sam Humphreys has ever written. I've read a lot of stuff from him. He's writing Blackbird right now, but uh, mm. this is just like really intelligent and s- just sarcastic and funny, but not mean-spirited sarcastic. And the art yeah. is like Joe Quinone is I've always thought is a gorgeous artist, but he does almost sort of like perfected body types. Mm-hmm. And in this time, he's just doing like every book is a total perfect execution of a different genre or era of comic book history and so well and everything that's going on around it um reminds me of the uh the justice league books that i like so much from the 90s oh those Mm. keith giffins yeah like it it looks a little bit like kevin mcguire oh yeah yeah, when you're in the regular world and i really i like that yeah (laughs) the end um i give this one an eight like just a delight to read I'll give it an eight. Also, that's a good. That's a good solid eight. Yeah. This is the first one I haven't read, so I'm going to abstain. Did you guys see the ad? There's an ad in the DC books this week for. Uh, there's a new. Uh, um You just said his name. White Knight. Kevin McGuire with the Jeff Lemire book. No, it wasn't McGuire. McGuire's partner, the writer. Keith Giffen. There's a new Keith Giffen book coming up with Jeff that, Lemire. Yeah, and I don't remember what it is now, but. I, I saw too. the ad and I was like, oh, Django, you got to know about this. They're my guys. That makes yeah. me want to mention, did you guys notice the DC books this week had almost no ads in them? Uh, because they loaded all of the ads into a nine-page preview for the right. Right night. Right? But it's amazing to read a comic book and get almost all the way through it without ads on a bunch of your books. And they only had three pages of ads and they were just four DC books. Then I compared it to Marvel books and they've got... Netflix ads, and they've got graphic novel ads, and they've got a you know, they, they had like nine or ten pages of ads in War of the Realms and had three pages of ads in DC, and they were all super non offensive. Speaking of ads, the one in Marvel books this week that for Legion 
Oh, I like that. Beautiful every ad. yeah, it's an awesome ad. But yeah. every time I'm flipping through a comic, I see that, and I think that that's what the whole yeah. issue looks like. And it's I'm like, like oh, I want this. Yeah. I'll read this this like hyper color comic. Right. And then I look at the rest of the art. And it's kind of a bummer. Hey, since you've got that open, would you guys tell me about Fantastic Four number eleven? It is a simple little throwaway cute story. Oh, I like cute stories. Um. Yeah. So there's there's some. Uh, License to Quantum Drive. License to Quantum Drive. What a little giggity yeah. go-getter. Yeah. It's, uh, it basically tells the story of Franklin and Valeria needing to get their licenses to drive these crazy vehicles that they've just kind of piloted around. There's apparently in the Marvel Universe, there's a department of extra normal motor vehicles, and you need a license to be allowed to drive uh, them, even if you're a super smart kid who's been oh. driving around in space for decades my mother is sue storm and my father is reed richards i should be allowed to do this yeah yeah um so it's kind of them getting a driver's test uh driver's trial by fire uh when they do their studying and end up during their driver's test getting sucked into the microverse along with their driving instructors and uh you know one of the kids passes one of the kids fails and does Franklin pass and Valeria fail? That's not what it seems like is going to happen through the whole issue, Jeffrey. But it is what happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Tardigrades. And the, the microverse stuff is pretty cool, too. Like, they, they describe it in a way that I hadn't really thought of it before. And the weird trickery that's happening in the beginning, like this uh, woman is skydiving and her parachute doesn't work. And it turns out that it's because it's been shrunk way down. Uh, so lots of little... Gags, yeah, yeah, and this this new villain they meet in the microverse, Gargantua. I mean, she's she's based on Granny Goodness visually, but yeah. she has. I love that the gags, like she, her tardigrades, they're she calls them tardigrasaurs, tardigrasaurs. Yeah, because they're huge, but they're tardigrades. And she wants to take over Earth, and then like one of the kids shows her a picture of Earth. It's like, really? This is what you want? She's like, oh, wait, never yeah. mind. You guys can keep that shithole. <laughs> yeah, Franklin convinces her that using his teen angst that uh, Earth sucks. <laughs> I have a question. Hmm. Has Ben Grimm ever had the Carnage or Venom symbiote on him? No, but... Um, but I, he's gone. Something, something, it wasn't this issue. Another comic this week hinted that that's what's going to happen to Ben. It was this one. Was it this one? Well, but... This issue, because it has that little Carnage symbiote cover variant thing, um, there's a there's a final page oh, teaser, right. and it yeah. says some homeless person is looking for Ben Grimm. Change is coming to Ben Grimm. And I, th- yeah. I thought that the point of Carnage, this this stuff is them tracking down all the people that have had the symbiotes on him. So I was just curious hmm. if he's ever had a symbiote Not, on him. Well, maybe he has. I don't remember reading that story. Dude, the cover for the next issue looks so good. Yeah, Just yeah. Hulk and He's, Thing fighting. There's like two solid issues of a Hulk and Thing fight coming up. I don't know why it's happening or what, but I don't care. Because that's a tradition in Marvel comics. Is the Hulk and Thing fight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All the Dan time. Dan <laughs> Slott does these things that I just don't care about, but seem to be big Marvel traditions. Yeah, he knows his audience. He knows his Marvel history. Yeah, he has too. some great moments with Doctor Doom in here too in Latveria. It's only like two pages, but it's good Doom. You know what's interesting is Fantastic Four and Spider-Man have both been telling stories, but then also seeding really long tail story, like backup stories or uh, side side plots. 
Hmm. Like Spider-Man has had that dude wrapped in the bandages. Yeah. Oh, I He's, thought you meant Dan Slott's Spider-Man. No, no, no. Uh, whoever, uh, whoever's writing that. Nick Spencer. Nick Spencer. So like... For 20-some issues, we've been getting teased with this guy, and he's finally starting to pay off. Fantastic Four, like, there have been things happening in the background that haven't totally paid off yet over and over and over, and I like that. I like that a lot in comic books. I like that we have enough confidence in a series and a writer to put faith in them to write for a long time and seed a larger story for a long time. Well, we know Dan Slott can do it. Yeah, we know that you can put Dan Slott on a book, and he won't stop writing it. He won't stop writing it. <laughs> uh, I would give this one a seven. I, I've read 11 issues of Fantastic Four, man. That's crazy. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've done that. It's been like since Hickman was doing it yeah. before I knew that Hickman was somebody I should pay attention to. And that to. was good. It was good. And this, is, this has been perfectly acceptable. Set the bar high. <laughs> you know. What do you give it, Roman? <laughs> I'll also give it a seven. I I really I enjoyed the story. I'm, I wasn't that thrilled with the art, but I would have knocked it up a little higher if, it, if different artists had been on it. Roman, if we could not have you knocking things up, that would be. I was going to leave it alone, but I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I did bring it up. Well, I just want to talk for a quick second about War of the Realms number six. It's weird that this huge Marvel event has just kind of been a book that I talk about for a quick second on our podcast. Um, can't quite make sense of what's going on on the cover there. Um, written by Jason Aaron, art by Russell Dodderman. Roman, are you reading this whole series? I am, but I haven't read that one. Is that the final issue? Yeah. Did oh. Russell Dodderman re- draw every issue of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang. On and time? it all came out on time. Holy shit. Yeah. Take note, everybody else. I'm really impressed with Marvel. this uh, event. I think that it came out paced well it wasn't delayed it was well written the art was gorgeous it's ready to be collected it's this was well executed so uh take note of that uh for sure i'm not going to spoil what happens at the end in that case because i I think roman will enjoy it but um they wrap things up really nicely in this if you were waiting to read this or if you were curious about it i think everyone should read it i'm not going to spoil it because i want i want roman to enjoy the end of this thing (laughs) dear listeners Jeff doesn't care about you like he does about Roman. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about you. Yeah, we'll spoil like it for I all of you. Um, holy shit. Um, <laughs> I just realized this back stack of books is sort of Jeff loaded. It's um, intimidating. So this, yeah, the R was just gorgeous. We got Jane Foster Thor being Jane Foster Lady Thor again, and that's great. Roman was telling me he read the issue of Thor that came out this week, and in that... Um, the Thors from all three eras and Jane Foster Thor were all brought together and that happens in this and what they do is, is really, really cool. Do they start a detective agency like Thors? Yes, and Howard the Duck is a part of it as well. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was really, really good. This is one of the best events that I think has come out for Marvel in the time that I have been at this store. So wow. very, very cool for that. But what do you give it? Um, I give it... An 8.5. I know that from those two Batman books that I didn't like at the beginning, it sounds like I didn't like comics this week, but I actually, I read a ton of books this week, and I really liked almost all of them. It was a great week for comics for me. Sweet, sweet. Did you like Ghost Tree? Yeah, I was thinking maybe I would, yeah. Let's do that, and then we'll get into our buckshots. Roman, let's talk about Ghost Tree really quick. This is number three. Um... Written by Bobby Kernow, art by Simon Gain, colors by Ian Herring with Becca Kinsey. Django, have you read any of this? 
No, I just looked through this one and it looks interesting. I know we just got reprints in, right? Yeah, we got. Maybe I'll catch up with it. We got second prints of issue one when two came out, and then we got third prints of number one and second prints of number two when number three came out. So, like, clearly it's gaining readership. Yeah. And that's really impressive for an IDW book at this point because they're only going to be around for another year. Well, in this one, just flipping through it real quick, the art grabs me. It looks a lot like um, whoever drew They're Not Like Us. I don't remember that artist, but this has a really um, kind of cartoony style, but the line work is really detailed, and it's the atmospheres and the environments are really detailed, but the like it's, it seems quick. It's not at all like Darwin Cook, but in terms of how efficiently he conveys story with art, this does that. The, the lines and the hair? Yeah. I really like that. It, it's almost woodcut. Yeah. Mixed with comic book, if that makes sense. Roman, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, you especially see that in the faces, <clears throat> the facial expressions. And the hair, for sure. Um, totally right. I loved this issue. I um, loved it. Favorite issue so far. Yeah, the portrayal of the main character, his like renewed relationship with uh, an ex-girlfriend who's a ghost in this. The relationship is so realistically portrayed and, and, and so cute and natural. And the whole... You know, one of the daughters, his sister is talking to their grandmother, and the grandmother starts talking about how um, the grandfather, how they stayed together all these years until he died, but she was so alone because he just kept on getting more distant because he was spending more time at the ghost tree of the title. And I thought that was also like, you know, as just like a Western American dude, I'm not wholly sure, but like culturally, like I think America is so much more like, blah, I have feelings, I have thoughts, listen to these. And then like for a Japanese culture, there's a lot more respect and there's a lot more listening. And there's also a lot more silence. Um, and it was really interesting to be hearing the grandmother talking about this relationship with the grandfather of, um, well, there's one particular line. So her grand, the grandfather was tending to this forest that they can see ghosts and the this series is about this grandson who has gone back to this place 10 years after his grandfather died and he is able to see ghosts as well and he's visiting his grandmother um his relationship with his wife is kind of they've been married for a while but they've grown distant from one another um but as roman was just saying the grandmother is talking about uh the grandfather and it sounds like they were very distant like you just said very far apart and she said that yeah um he never paid any attention to anything that didn't captivate his imagination and that is such an incredible line of dialogue to me yeah that that idea of not being able to be content or interested in the things around us because i just have that same thing of like i'm not necessarily interested in the day-to-day stuff Sam has been out of town for this last week. I'm just so bad at having a house and living a life because I'm so blessed to just kind of always be fancifully floating through the things that captivate my imagination. And I, I really liked that line. I, I did too. And and the fact in the grandmother, the you can feel that under under the line her saying that she's still feels like and I didn't captivate. She doesn't say that, but I didn't captivate his imagination. And then she also says at some point. Uh, he never said, yeah, he, she said, he never said a word, or never said a mean word, but he's barely said a word to me after, you know, enough time. And that, I think, was crueler than anything he could have said. And that yeah. idea of just sort of being bored with somebody is actually more cruel than anything. So all of this is sort of a veiled conversation about the main character's relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. And he 
is so into visiting the ghost of his ex-girlfriend and the grandfather is basically he overhears the grandmother saying this stuff and and he goes to warn him hey don't hang out here this isn't a good place for you to hang out it's just around your you know like ghosts it's it's yeah it's, it's dangerous because yeah your your normal life is hard it obviously is hard it's way easier to take comfort in the memory of a life that has been and, and is known like i struggle with that that's a huge thing in my life so this idea of like yeah, you're nostalgic. Get the fuck over it. Move on. Like, everything is more comfortable when it's not real and immediate. It's fucked up when the grass is always greener, even going backwards. Oh, the grass is the yeah. greenest backwards. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's it's a hard thing to kind of remember to remind yourself that that's ridiculous. Yeah. Because it is absolutely ridiculous, and I've, I fall into that trap all the time, too. Every day of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and the fact that the grandfather, and he's a ghost... He sees his wife saying that, and um, and the line too. She adds right after what you read. Um, she would ask him what was occupying his mind. He looked ashamed to say, like he thought I would not believe him. I would have believed anything he said if only he told me. Yeah, and that's there's a little indictment there of of not speak, not talking. So this is just going to be a four issue mini series, and it's one of my favorite things that's come out in the last year. It's so. You know, I, I think it's for a lot of people out there. Yeah. And it feels very for me. Like if you deal, if you wrestle with nostalgia, if you wrestle with your past and the feeling that your current life is less than the life that it was, um, this is a, a really beautifully illustrated, beautifully told story that tackles those issues, but in an indirect way. It doesn't feel like someone who knows a lesson telling you a lesson. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very well illustrated in the larger sense of illustration, not just the the pictures. And there's a, and there's a weird, cool ghost battle at the end too. Yeah, there's a big old <laughs> spooky ghost battle at the end. Yeah, Jeff, can you tell me? Can can you give me the initial pitch to this book, as if someone brought the concept to you, and now you have to run it up the ladder to the bosses. And you are Dirk Wood. <laughs> do I have to do the voice of Dirk Wood? Uh, yes. Hey, guys. Uh, Bobby Kernow was just in here, and he was telling me that uh, he's got a book, and it's like a guy who sees ghosts because his grandfather saw ghosts. It runs in their family, but it's like mostly about how do you overcome your past while moving forward. It's It's basically... That I don't, I don't really know. I'm real <laughs> fucking baked anyway, and I had a bunch of shots of vodka at lunch, so I don't know. Bobby's a nice guy though, and he knows a guy who draws really pretty pictures. So like, I'm, I think we should do it. And it's only four issues, and everything we else sell is it's bad. So <laughs> we should just do this one. All right. Well, it's always good for you to have something to edit out, I guess. <laughs> oh. Okay. 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 Well, let's go to. Okay. Sorry. I give this one a uh, nine point five. Oh yes, nine point five. Sure. Nine point yeah. five on the. Before we go scale. to the buckshots, let's hear Django's IDW book of the week. My IDW book of the week is Road of Bones, number two, by Rich Dueck, uh, with art by Alex Cormack and letters by Justin Birch. I really like the first issue of this. It basically set us up with three dudes in a Russian work camp who escape. Uh, and one of them, maybe, maybe not, 
is also feeding a monster. And uh, this one has them trying to get through the Russian wilderness and survive, and they have to do things like, uh, you know, ration their food, and they're talking about where they're going to eat, and they know it's too late to really turn around. They're kind of being tracked by the, the by the camp guards, but not very well because that like there's a great exchange in the beginning where the camp guards are like, you know, why are we doing this? It's like, nah, nobody cares. I mean, beating the crap out of a dead man's no fun, but I don't want him alive for that. Like, we don't care. Our bosses don't care. Our bosses' bosses don't care. But Stalin says we got to do it, so we all have to pretend to care. Um, the working title for this was Bad Boy Gulag. Bad Boy Gulag. <laughs> um, at some point, they lose their food, and in the end, they're, uh, two of the guys are planning on murdering the third one to eat him because they don't have enough food to get through the get through the thing and judging by the cover of the next issue they might do it what a smelly smelly book uh yeah this this book is it it like hits the it's the same notes for me that the descent hits the movie the movie like just sort of there there are monsters kind of in the background but that's not the scary part the landscape is what's going to kill i was just going to say in in uh, page two and three of this is a big double page spread with almost no text that is mostly just this really beautiful shot of snowy mountains, frozen branches, and small people walking through the cold. And like yeah. slow, quiet moments like that um, can do more storytelling for me than a, a lot of densely texted words, which is sort of that thing I always come back to of you know, economy of comic book. Use your visuals to tell your story, mm-hmm. not your words. And there's a two-page spread in here where the, the guys have to make a jump over, like, between from, from one cliff to another. And it's harrowing, which that that's hard to do in a comic book. Even, especially when the result of the, the jump is spoiled on the facing page. Like, you can see the setup and the payoff on those pages, and it's still... Holy shit, what's going to happen the whole time? That's an interesting part of comic books to me. Um, You can't ever predict where the publishers are going to put an advertisement in your comic book. Mm -hmm. So the act of a visual reveal relying on a page turn is a thing that the artists can't dictate unless they make it a double page spread. Right. I think that's just a really interesting part of the comic book medium. And I like that we're moving... I guess that's why I was talking about the DC thing earlier. It's really incredible to only have three pages of ads in this book because it is not normal to get through, you know, 10 pages of a comic book without any ads. Yeah. And if that was a consistent thing, artists would be able to consistently rely on this is going to involve a page turn for the visual reveal. Right. And you just said that, like, that didn't happen in this issue. This The storytelling still worked. But, like, yeah, and you're showing it to me – if that were a thing that happened, uh, you know, the two pages were a page turn. Like there right. probably would have been a little added weight to it. Well, so here's the thing. Go on. On the page turn on this, Ooh. there's another reveal where they lose their food, and there are no ads in the body of this comic. And I'm seeing that more and more. I love right. that we're going in that direction. It's like DC and Marvel generally have ads, and I did talk to a couple creators about it, and one of them was like, "Oh." 
Yeah, you you can ask them to put it in a certain place, but they don't listen. That's why I do mostly double page spreads for my comics. And that was a thing that I learned from J. H. Williams the Third at Morrison Com. That was like right. one of the first times that a book had all of the ads pushed to the back because the entire issue was done in double page spreads, and it was for Batwoman. And it came up several times. And people were like, "How did you know? How did you do that?" He's like, "I didn't really think about it, but the whole book just was double page spreads." And therefore, they put them all on the back. Thank God, but yeah. they could have not. Because, well, but that book is so beautiful. It's it's it kind of stands out above and beyond right. a normal DC comic. But right? what a helpless feeling to be an artist who's in charge of the oh, visual yeah. representation of a book and know and the that pacing, you're not in it's charge a of it. Fucking pacing yeah, point, absolutely. You know, and if you can't if you can't have any real control over that, that can really impact things. And like in trade paperbacks, I just read um, Born Again. And by born again, you Daredevil. mean... Oh, I thought it was a Tamagotchi thing. Oh, no, different thing. Okay. Uh, Daredevil by Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli. And when you're reading the trade paperback, they like the, they, they do the front cover on a different side of the, the page each time. And what you end up with is page one not always being the right page. Like the right hand page. You know what you also always end up with is a bunch of uh, intro title pages of Matt Murdock in bed. Yeah, I really like that. I, I love. I've been noticing that. more and more things doing an homage to that. Even the, I'm, I've just started reading the Kevin Smith uh, Guardian Devil, and there are there are a couple homages to daredevil in bed even that fucking uh spider pig comic that came out this week <laughs> has a, a daredevil yeah. in Was bed that gag i stopped reading it and uh you don't do that i don't i i couldn't do it wow i have been reading born again as well because Django got me all excited about it and uh i am super impressed with the consistent title page is it's just sort of always an a matt murdoch trying to sleep and getting less and less hinged uh, yeah what you can see is just his his descent yeah. into is it madness is it poverty is it you know what's going on but <laughs> do you guys want to do wait did you give Rota Bones an odd uh, score I give this this issue an eight and a half I think I love that it's just good wilderness oh my terror. god you're buckshotting oh god I'm <laughs> buckshotting uh, Canto number one Yay. it's apparently a really hot book it's about little uh, little night monsters with uh, shields and and night hats, and they have had their hearts <laughs> replaced with watches. And uh, it, it sets up a really cool world. Like the world that they build in this is interesting. Um, they're not supposed to have names or be loved or love. And uh, boy, Kanto is fucking up all those rules. I'll yeah, tell you no. what. Uh, I also read Martian Manhunter number six. This was the first issue that I felt like I finally kind of had a real solid grasp on where this story's coming from and where it's going. Nice. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's good stuff. I finally kind of understand the Uki Martian stuff. Um, John being a kind of a dickbag on Mar Mars sort of pays off here in a bad way. Like he gets, he gets... He gets his. Uh, Conan number seven. Still reading Conan. 
Uh, that's the seventh Conan comic I've ever read, and I'm liking it. Uh, Action Comics number 1012. The art is good. I don't know that it's appropriate for Action Comics, but uh, it's interesting. There are a couple really good uh, newspaper nerd gags on the opening page. The end. <laughs> I got faster while I was in New Orleans. Uh, Jango used to work at a little bit of a newspaper. He knows some in inside jokes there. I do. I'm really glad that you have kept reading uh, Martian Manhunter. I think it's pretty impressive that they greenlit it as a 12-issue miniseries. I'm fucking flabbergasted because it is a hard comic. Yeah, and like, <laughs> I like, you know, Mark Russell, okay, we'll let you do 12 issues on Wonder Twins, whereas yeah. like Steve Orlando, we'll let you do Martian Man Manhunter even though the sales have plummeted on it. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, Steve, I think Steve Orlando is a big enough name at this point that he can kind of do what he feels like doing. I, I'll bet that he gets to call the shots, and I'll bet they said, Steve, we want you to do something like Mr. Miracle. Um, you got 12 issues, do who do you good, want? Though. Well, yeah, but, you know, DC got something to stick with a character that they've traditionally not been able to get to stick, so why not try it again with Martian Manhunter? How do you feel about Riley Rossmo's art in here? I like his art. I don't like the colors that much i think this book would benefit from a bolder colorist colors course uh i would give geez what did i review i would give canto a seven i would give martian manhunter a seven and a half i would give conan a seven and i would give action comics a seven just kind of a right down the line set of books for me this week i didn't love a whole lot this week there was not a single ad in the entire bulk of this comic they like Every page of story, there was not an ad in it. Isn't that what they wow. did with uh, Mr. Miracle, too? I can't remember. I mean, it may well, be a thing it also only... has nine pages of the right. white Right, and night. I think the backup story is what is doing it mostly. Will you do me a favor? Yeah. Weird. Will you write to them and tell them how much we like it? Yeah. If you will give me the email address. Dan.didio.dc.gmail. We can't put that on dot here. Net. <laughs> I don't I don't know his email. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was just the DC books were skipping it. Because this Conan doesn't have any ads in it either until Really? Until the very there's an ad and then the last page. See, huh. that's amazing. But yeah, I, that is amazing. We're moving towards that, I think. I wow. think that you know, if they probably look at how much money they're spending on things, like is it more expensive for us to put a page of ad versus how much money we make off of it, they might just realize that it's they're preaching to the wrong audience because we're already going to watch the Doom Patrol show. Yeah. I think in the past they used to uh, they used to sell ads and make money on the ads, and now it's mostly house ads yeah. with occasional, like, intermediate Snickers ads with ads. DC. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Jeff Buckshot now. Go. I read Runaways 22 this week by Rainbow Rowell and Andres Guinolet and Guinolet. <laughs> Mike. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> I was so pumped. Braden does a good job of reminding me to read this book, like when there's a really good issue. And every time I've read it, I'm like, this is a fucking great book. And uh, this issue was great. I love it. I really like the art. I really like the characters. I'm missing a huge amount of the backstory of these characters. But... I think it's a great book. Everybody in it is wonderful. Chase, who was so together, and the last issue is just falling apart here. It scratches my love of like high school drama in the perfect way. It doesn't. It's not super. Um, 
I don't know, it's not super heavy handed or it's not trying to like, oh, this is the message I'm conveying. It's like we're really hanging out with these characters um, and they're going through their courses. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is the story I have to tell. It's it's really good. Rainbow Rowell has a book coming out called Pumpkin Heads from First Second Press. I'm really, really excited about it. I'm, I'm pretty won over by her as an author. I also read Transformers Ghostbusters, Ghosts of Cybertron number one. This is the best Transformers comic I think I've ever read. <laughs> um, and that's not to say it's a great comic, but it captures Transformers in a wonderful way. And they have mashed up uh, Transformers with the first Ghostbusters movie super, super well. And Zool is in it. And they've got robot Transformer dogs. So good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really, really good. And there's an Echo-1, Ecto-1 Transformer that... Oh, really? um, <laughs> Their name, like, before they come... And, like, they just kill off all the Decepticons because it's an alternate reality. They just don't need the Decepticons. So, they're like, oh, yeah, and this happened, and then all the tra- Decepticons died. Is their name... Ecto, 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 Ecto! Oh, you're so good, Django. No, their name is... I got to find it because it's pretty good. Um, Ectronimus Diametron. And you can tell they're probably just like, we'll just call you Ecto. It's got to be what they're working towards here. um, I give Runaways a nine. I give Transformers Ghostbusters an eight. What? What? Wow. I know. I'm going to read the next. The Ghostbusters stuff isn't quite as awesome. But I do think I was like, oh, wait. Okay, I can remember the Ghostbusters characters and their voices. And they do have separate voices. Did you read Optimus Prime as... Um, Orson Welles, or did you read him as Orson Welles was uh, Gal or um, you know Unicron? Um, Unicron. I don't yeah. know why every time I open my fucking mouth about Transformers, <laughs> I just stick a big old metal foot in it. Like every single time, I, I think, think I have something funny. You gotta hang out and watch Unicron I, uh, <laughs> with me. I get, um, I, I <clears throat> look like a fool, a big dumb metal fool. They do spend an, they give an entire black page to Cybertron was destroyed. As were the Decepticons who called it home. Moving on. That's it. Like yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. just like, yeah. It's it's. I really like that. So um, Cyber, yeah, Cybertron isn't surprisingly high <laughs> scores uh, for that. Roman. Cool. I'm gonna have to read that one. You are my guy. You look so cute. You got that hair, chest, boot. I wanted to play with <laughs> your nose because it's cute, but not as cute as Django's. Go. <laughs> Uh, I won't say much about Action Comics because Django already did it, but I love the fact Rose and Thorn are back. Brought back some obscure characters. People I've never heard of. Oh, we'll talk all about it. Glow number three. This this was another fun, great comic. You're a fan of the show. You'll love this comic. Ruth and all the characters sound just like they're supposed to from the show. There's good action, 80s wrestling action. There's some neat subplots going on. Um Steel Cage number one. Did you read any other obscure characters this week? <laughs> <laughs> There's some obscure new characters here in Steel Cage number one from Ahoy Comics. I didn't get what you were getting at. <laughs> this was a cool gimmick because it's every issue, it's a different creative team, three stories, and fans are supposed to go to the website and vote on what they think is the story that's worth continuing. Um, nice. I want to play that game. Yeah, I'm going to do it tonight. I'm gonna, I already picked out my story, I think. Do you know how to enter that? I, 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 know I think know, so. I know you know how to Facebook like. Yeah, yeah. I can internet. I'll just you know do the dial up and wait for that to come through. Mom, I'm getting on the internet. Don't use the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't pick up. Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider Ham. I actually did make it all the through all the way through this. Read this. It's a Spider Man annual. 
it, it was hard. It was difficult, but it's actually funny in a really stupid way. There's all sorts of puns. Every single panel is puns. Um, if you have patience, you get a lot out of it. It's got Spider Guin because she's a penguin. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> um, so, since I interrupted you, sorry, Django, go. No, no, I was just gonna make fun of him. Oh, he's <laughs> so good though. Out of out of all these characters, the ones from uh, the Netflix show that uh, <laughs> only wrestling fans watch, that's about wrestling, uh, Rose and Thorn, and uh, Spider Gwen. <laughs> Who's your favorite of the obscure characters that you read about this week? Oh, Spider Gwen. My favorite actually is is Ruth Zoya the Destroyer from Glow. All right, question answered. Yeah, yeah. Um, I give... just love how many how many like characters nobody's ever heard of you just reviewed. <laughs> it's great. Lots of people heard of Rose and Thorn. We got the first appearance down on the case down. That's there. what I want to talk about. Rose and Thorn is in the case. Did Django make a priced up comic book that has a price that says first Rose and Thorn? Or maybe it's in a stack behind the case. It's Oh, it's in a stack on the floor. Does it say first Rose and Thorn on it? Did Django I, I think find it, that? It hasn't. I don't think it's been priced and graded you yet. You just know it's their first appearance? Yeah, because I looked it up. Rose and Thorn and Guildenstrands. She, she's she's she's. Roman, saying, I love you. Don't ever change. <laughs> I get to meet Bailey tomorrow. I know that. I, oh, I'm so jealous. Um, I'll give Glow. I'll give Glow number three. I'll give that an eight. Uh, Steel Cage. I'll give a seven and a half. Peter Porker. I'll I'll give that uh, a six and a half. Peter Porker. Eh? Six and a half for Peter Porker. Yeah. Well. Um, you're gonna go vote on Steel Cage, and I'm also gonna I read am. it. I would be I stunned am. if Mark Wade's story didn't win. You know, that's not my pick Your for this pick issue. Is my pick is one. Yeah, actually, actually, it is. I know. It's called <laughs> Bright Boy. Just because it has such it, it has such a twist on the the Superman type character, and it actually he's been sent back by these super advanced aliens because to them he he's a dipshit and worthless, and but and he still has that attitude because that's what he was raised with. So he's here on Earth now in 2019, and everybody's like, "Oh, you're like you're like a Superman, like you're, you're a paragon, a savior." And he's like, and at home he's like, "God, I'm such a piece of crap." <laughs> oh, it's so fun to do this <laughs> podcast together. But now that we're all here at the end, I finished second. Roman finished just a hair behind me, and Django on on the the golden <laughs> tip by a mile. So wonderful to be here with you boys. Um, this is a contest. No, but it is a race. Huh. Um, Aren't all races contact? What are the not. things that we got to do to clean the house? We got to say thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh-huh. We would love to get some more voicemails and emails from folks. Phil gave me his question on Wednesday, but I need, I need a written version of that, Phil. Phil. Um, we're, uh, yeah, this is 136, I think I said. So we got four more episodes until the 140. I need more questions from everybody. I need questions from you. I need questions from you. If you're listening to this, if you're hearing me now, you haven't written me a question. Write it down, you jerk. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Write a question down. It doesn't have to make sense. Put it on your phone and then send it to info at thecomicsplace.com. We need it. We want a bunch of questions. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're not going to talk about comic books that week. Don't make us do a 22-minute episode That would happen. In celebration. I hate I would hate that idea. That would be awful. Um, so, do please, this isn't a joke. If you're listening, send us a question. Um, also, review us 
please Man. go to iTunes, on which stuff. is dying, and review us on stuff. Yeah. Jingle, what else we got? I don't know. Call us. Leave us a voicemail <laughs> for our question show for 140. That phone number is 1-619-663-7336. That's the first was time good. we've ever done Oh, I Nailed thought we were going to keep keep talking the same words. I thought so, too. One of us fucked it up. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that's the big stuff, right? Yeah, I think so. If you, if anybody, so. any week ever um, comes into the comic shop on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Tuesday, and there's a book that they're interested in that they want us to talk about, Ryan Russell, thank you so much for telling us to read The Thin Red Line <laughs> or whatever that was. Um, but if anybody could ever, you know, give us a thing, hey, I want to hear about this book, we would love to hear about that. If uh, We would talk about it on the podcast very happily. Ten bucks. Ten bucks is all it takes. <laughs> um, <laughs> not even, though. Django, so good to have you back. I'm real glad to be back. Roman, Done so glad to be with you. I was sweaty down there. Jeff? Yeah. Real happy to have you around. I was, I was about to gesture, like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm here, uh, too. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah. I miss this place. I miss you, and I missed you. Well, I would. I mean, like, I'm a I'm a real weird sham without you, buddy. So, I, I, I miss uh, both you guys. Everybody knows you're no sham. Everybody, I'm the charlatan. Everybody, you're certainly a charlatan, but everyone knows I'm nothing without you. Um, uh, can we? This could have been a nice segue into Sham Love Number Two. Yeah, that was a comic book that came out. I wanted to say that something to the effect character. of like everybody <laughs> needs something to pee out of and something to poop out of, and I'm one and you're the other. No. Oh. What, what Roman is what you barf out of? I would just say I well I was thinking about you know if Django and I are like the waste reproductive organs of a body, but you can't only have one; you have to have both. Am I the receptacle? You're the mouth. You're the thing that it all goes in. Yeah. You're the pre pooper. We're the pooper. Wow. <laughs> nom, nom, You're nom, the pre pooper. <laughs> Holy fuck! We had some weird episodes for the last month. <laughs> it has been a bizarre yeah. pile of episodes. Uh, you know, just a Roman and Jeff episode where we got all sad at the end. Just a <laughs> Jeff and Sam episode where she doesn't read comic books. Um, I liked them both. Thank I was you. gone. I listened to both of them. I was really glad to hear everybody's voice, and I, I thought that uh, I thought it, I thought you did a really good job with those. How, I, how sad did it get? It didn't get super sad. It, it got. Did we do okay? It got real. It did get roll. Yeah. It, it didn't get real sad, but it got roll. I would love a roll cast every once in a while. Just like uh, every, you know, six episodes, just a roll cast. Well, we did that one with uh, Justin. Our right? most That's frequently complimented episode. episode is the one where Justin came back randomly. And mm. we just, like, came upstairs and we're like, uh, Justin, talk to us. What have you learned in the last yeah. six months of you being gone? Like, I yeah. hear about that one all the time. Yeah. Um. We're so, so grateful for everybody. Thank you. I'm incredibly grateful to all of you for listening. So I really am grateful to you. Can't wait to see you on episode 150 when we're doing a live podcast in front of all of you. It's going to be fun. We're going to be sharing drinks. There's going to be high fives. You're going to pick the order of the books. We're all going to get a big group hug. We're going to do a big old Jeff uh, sort of encouragement circle before it starts because I'm a big fan of those. Um, How are we going to have enough room yeah ron and i were talking about that we've already figured it out it's gonna be fun we're gonna have to go to seattle we're gonna have to run out the superdome we're gonna get a whole bus for everybody to go down to the superdome for like because buses we're gonna need a lot of buses to get this many listeners in one spot <gasps> we can do it at the sportsplex 
Oh, you're right. Where they got 13,000 people at fucking Odessa's concert. Were you out of town when that happened? I was. Lucky, I was. <laughs> lucky boy. All right, we'll see you guys all next week for 137. Thanks so much. Everyone should read Ghost Tree. I'm Jeff, and I think that Roman looks like a bird, and actually ah. Django looks a lot like a dodo. I'm Django. <laughs> I like all the hugs I get. Do you? Because I give them. Can I do that again? Yeah. I'm Django. <laughs> I'm Roman. Uh, I, I like giving all the hugs that Django gets. Is it okay that I'm not going to cut that out? I like the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> all of the non-Roman hugs? <laughs> Come here, you bastard. Come here. <laughs> it's Bastich. <laughs>